back everybody to the Luke Beasley show. I hope you're doing wonderful on this Thursday. Uh, we have lots to get into, so let's jump into our first story. A bill has gone through the first necessary step in the Senate to get passed that would protect both same-sex marriage and interracial marriage. We talked a little bit about this within the context of the same-sex marriage part of it because that's the particular aspect that is causing right-wingers to explode. Um, but generally, this is a good bill. Of course, the reason why it is being pushed for is because Clarence Thomas indicated, as well as just the actions of the Supreme Court generally, that these other uh, past rulings that the Supreme Court has made could be in jeopardy. Of course, Clarence Thomas specifically called out uh, Obergefell, and he himself is in an interracial marriage, but may be put in jeopardy that very ruling, which is quite strange. I'll say up front, because I'm, of course, fair on this show, I recognize not even the most right-wing states or governments would ban interracial marriage in these days and times. That's true, okay? So that's not threatened, but I still am great with the fact that they're protecting it. The same-sex marriage part of it absolutely is threatened in many states across the country. But like I said, the first step has been taken in the Senate, which is very exciting, and a handful of Republicans went on board with it. The Senate is poised to soon pass landmark legislation to federally enshrine both same-sex and interracial marriage rights amid what Democrats call a worry that the Supreme Court's conservative majority could overturn protections for both. The first key test vote was Wednesday to start formal debate on the bill. The procedural hurdle was clear with a 62 to 37 vote with 12 Republicans joining the 50-member Democratic caucus. So every Democratic senator, of course, voted for this first step. They called it a procedural hurdle, which is what it was, and it kind of gives you an indication of who would support it in its final um, form when actually it matters as far as passing it. So here's that going down in the Senate. Vote. The yeas are 62, the nays are 37. Three-fifths of the senators duly chosen and sworn having voted in the affirmative. The motion is agreed to. Okay. Um, and it is wild that, I mean, aside from those 12 Republicans, every other Republican senator voted against codifying same-sex marriage and interracial marriage into a federal law. At least they tried to stop this first step and will definitely vote against it later on as well. Um, one of the arguments you hear from a lot of these people is, oh, it doesn't matter. We don't need to care about this because the Supreme Court already ruled on this. Well, two points. Number one, okay, cool. Then it doesn't hurt to codify it into law. Mm. But number two, we just watched Roe v. Wade get overturned. And then Clarence Thomas said, aha, we're coming for more. And it's very reasonable to act on this. So quickly, here are the 12 senators, uh, from the Republican Party, of course, all the Democrats did, who voted in favor. Uh, Blunt, Burr, Capito, Collins, Ernst, uh, Loomis, Murkowski, Portman, Sullivan, Romney, Tillis, and Young. So credit to them uh, for that. You shouldn't really have to give credit because this is just a no-brainer, but that's the world we live in. Here's Mitch McConnell voting no. He also is in an interracial marriage, which is a very strange dynamic that uh, he would vote against this. Mr. McConnell, Mr. McConnell, no. Okay. Um, pretty sad there. This shouldn't be controversial at all. And if you want to know why 
many in the right wing stand against this. Here's one of the explanations, uh, part of this we went over yesterday with Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh. Very, very odd articulation of why this is bad. Argument for marriage has literally nothing to do with religion. You could be an, an, a visitor from, from Mars and, and you could see that all of human procreation relies on man, woman, child. This is not particularly difficult stuff. By essentially boxing in the argument in favor of traditional marriage into, well, if you're a crazy religious believer, maybe we'll let you have that. But, you know, if you're, if you're baking, a, if you're a cake baker, then we're not sure about that, right? I mean, like, we're not sure how far this... this so who's making that argument? I still don't get it. We went over this yesterday. I totally agree with you. The foundation of human reproduction does come down to a biological female and a biological male reproducing. 100% accurate. What does that have to do with this subject? We still love the fact that people are reproducing in our society. Go reproduction. <laughs> um, no one is standing against that. But of course, if you don't have any good arguments to make, just throw whatever you can at the wall and see what sticks, which is exactly what they're doing. So there it is, much of the Republican Party standing against this, what should be an uncontroversial uh, bill, but a handful joining the Democrat, uh, Democratic Party on this action, which is good. Tucker Carlson, as well as lots of people on the right, including, including Carrie Lake herself, um, they are claiming time and time again, as we've covered a lot on this show, that the election in Arizona, specifically gubernatorial, but they also talk about the senatorial race as well, were completely fraudulent and stolen from Carrie Lake, and we need to redo the election. Donald Trump said something to that effect. And this is really dangerous. As Tucker Carlson oddly identifies in this clip I'm about to show you, but it's almost a threat the way he frames this. Take a look. Because you're getting used to how this really works. Can we call it voter fraud? No, we can't. We don't have the evidence. True. We can call it unacceptable because well, it is. When equipment malfunctions or it takes days to count the votes, Americans lose their faith in their democratic system. And when they lose that faith, they tend to become radical. And over time, they can become dangerous because democracy is the safety relief valve that keeps things from blowing up. So he says when people stop believing in the democratic process, they can become radical and they can become dangerous. True. But again, Who's making them lose faith in the democratic process? People like you, Tucker. And one of the things they talk a lot about is the inefficiencies of our voting system and the mistakes, or not even mistakes, but the uh, procedural mess ups that have happened on the day of the voting. For example, in Arizona, they had a tabulation um, problem with the, the machines that tabulate the votes and they fixed it and then they continued on with the process and so they'll point at that and say this is proof of an election being stolen or something and setting aside the fact that in a country our size you're going to have some issues arise counting this amount of votes and as long as it can be shown that everything was still secure nobody was prevented from voting then um, it is okay and that's definitely not proof of any sort of scheme going on on top of that they try to direct this towards the democratic party when so many times the Democratic Party in different states has tried to act to make our elections faster running, more efficient, and the Republican Party has stood against it and has put in bizarre rules in states across the country where you have to wait till certain times late on election day or uh, late in the process, meaning on election day, to even start voting. 
um, or counting votes, mail-in votes specifically, oftentimes just purposely slowing down the process. But then they're pointing and saying the Democratic Party is to blame for um, these elections that are being stolen based on the inefficiencies that we have. So I agree when you hear, just so you know, people on the right say, oh my gosh, we need to make our accounting process more efficient. I'm on board with that. I think it would be great if earlier on we could know results these days just so they could stop screaming so much about it. But also I think it's nice for you to get an answer as quick as possible. But that is not an issue of voter fraud or stolen elections. And he even admitted there, we don't have proof of that. Um, so we just kind of vaguely point in the direction of uh, these claims. Take a look at Carrie Lake saying she's still in this fight. No, you're not. Carrie Lake here. I wanted to reach out to you to let you know that I am still in this fight with you. For two years, I've been sounding the alarm about our broken election system here in Arizona. And this past week has confirmed everything we've been saying. When we called for Katie Hobbs to recuse herself over a year ago, they ridiculed us. It turns out we were right. The fox was guarding the hen house, and because of that, mm. voters have been disenfranchised. Carrie Lake here, I want to... So she, along with people like Tucker Carlson, but specifically Steve Bannon, has made it a big point to say it's not over, and we are going to fight this till the bitter end and prevent certification. And the point I keep making is the last time we saw people on the right trying to prevent a certification of an election, how did that go? Um, we all remember. And so that's kind of what's going down in Arizona because of this same belief that, okay, we've heard that there's some things that we should call a stolen election or at least, uh, you know, voter fraud, whatever. And because of that, we're going to fight till the bitter end to prevent this election from being certified, even though we've lost. Very um, scary moment going down there. Mike Pence is really making the rounds these days, trying to get back in the public conversation and I think possibly bolster himself enough in the public image and get popular enough where he could run for president. Let's make something clear, especially you'll believe this even harder once you watch these clips from this town hall he did, but he will never win a Republican primary, much less a national election. I've talked about how I respect what he did on January 6th. He did the correct thing and that was good. And I do think it took courage. Since then, he's been MIA largely, which is such a low character move in such a crucial moment in American history. And then we watch when he finally does speak to January 6th, he's so soft as you'll see in this town hall. So Jake Tapper did a CNN town hall with Mike Pence. And uh, most of it, even though he'll make correct points about January 6th, it was just revealing how low character he is, I guess. He's not brave enough to fully stand against a very dangerous movement because he wants to capitalize off of that movement in this distorted part of his brain, thinking that he could somehow unite the Republican Party with the MAGA and the moderates to become the Mike Pence party, which again, it just won't happen. He should take the high road. He should step away for a moment and decide to fight this very dangerous, uh, dangerous part instead of lightly criticizing and then also wanting to get the support of first question um jake tapper asks is about individuals pence supported who if you believed his previous statements about some of the radical parts of the republican party you would think he wouldn't go and support but he did in this midterm election uh take a look about the 2022 election and i think that your analysis 
uh, is one that is, is generally accurate, that the candidates who were hung up on the election lies of 2020, uh, of 2020 um, did not fare as well in 2022 as the ones who stepped forward and, and, and talked about the future. Mm-hmm. I was, and I know you know better than anyone in a, in a bad way what those election lies can mean in terms of crowds being incited. Mm. I was surprised to see you campaigning for mm. Don Baldick in New Hampshire and Blake Masters in Arizona, who were two people who lied about the election, who defeated, one could say, one could argue, better candidates in the Republican primaries uh, who were future-leaning candidates. Um, why, did you, why did you endorse them? Why did you support them? Why did you campaign for them? Well, you know, I've often said I'm a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. But I'm a Republican. I think he expected a response there. <laughs> Got nothing from the audience. Republican. And once Republican primary voters had chosen their nominees, I went out and traveled to 35 states over the last year and a half to see if we could elect a Republican majority in the House and Senate, elect Republican governors all across the country. It didn't mean, as it hasn't meant in the past, that I agree with every statement or every position candidates. So, gosh, that is so backwards for you to admit that these lies about the election were dangerous and for you to ex- have experienced the worst outcome of those lies in them trying to hang you because you didn't go along with this bizarre distorted plan that trump and his allies had concocted and you recognize that threat but then go out and support people who have uh spread those same lies so backwards and it shows i don't really know where he stands on these things i'm sure he didn't like being threatened and i'm sure that angered him but maybe he genuinely i think he does just value um values holding on to the tiny chance he has of holding a little bit of support in this movement above making the correct choice uh morally here's another moment where he talks about january 6th the president looked up at me and so this is when trump and him talked after january 6th he asked if uh karen and charlotte were okay And I said, tersely, they're fine, Mr. President. And he said, were you scared? And I said, no, I was angry. I was angry about the differences we had, and I was, I told him seeing those people ransacking the Capitol infuriated me. But we sat for more than an hour and a half. I'm sorry, I just have to say, he is an example of a politician manufactured in the politician factory who is just so robotic and standard and basic. It's just annoying to watch, sorry. And I was candid with the president about my disappointment. And I must tell you that um, I sensed the president was deeply remorseful in that moment. Now I know that's at odds with people's public perception about him, but I wanna tell you it was true. So he sensed, he didn't say a phrase that Trump used that would indicate remorse. He didn't answer for the countless things Trump said after January 6th that indicate he's not remorseful at all. Instead, he said he sensed that Trump was remorseful. Again, trying to paint Trump in a less bad light than the one he actually uh, should be painted in. What are you doing? 
Michael. I don't even know if that's his full name. Probably <laughs> Michael Pence. Um, here's another, uh, another moment, him responding to the Hang Mike Pence video. But frankly, when I saw those images and when, when I read a tweet that President Trump issued saying that I lack courage in that moment, it angered me greatly. But to be honest with you, I didn't have time for it. The president had decided in that moment to be a part of the problem. I decided and was determined to be part of the solution. And so we essentially set that aside. I, I collected the Republican and Democrat leadership of the House and Senate on a conference call, and we began to work the problem. So again, I'll say, if you look at the footage behind the scenes, if you hear about accounts of what Pence was doing, he acted downright correct on that day. And I respect him for it, or I respect what he did that day. So when he talks about the moments of January 6th, everything's correct. But then, of course, the most you know amount of strength that he can muster against Trump is, it deeply angered me. He wanted to be a part of the problem, but not recognizing the larger threat that that type of ideology poses. This isn't just about the one disagreement, as you'll call it, between you and him. This is about an assault that he led on our democratic processes and um, the idea that he should have stayed in power despite losing the 2020 election. Um, and that's what led to the events of January 6th. So here maybe is a little bit of why I'm particularly upset with Mike Pence right now. In a different interview, he got asked about why he's not going to testify in front of the January 6th select committee and goes back to kind of the dishonesty we saw all throughout 2016 through 2020 from him. Written Sorry. in person for the January 6th committee. Do, do you I'll believe though, do you intend to ever sit and answer questions written in person for the January 6th committee? Do, do you believe though that the public deserves that? Is this interview it? Is this book it? Or will you answer questions about that day before Congress? Well, I'm, I shared my heart and I shared my story in this book, and we'll continue to speak openly about it. I expect to some degree for the rest of my life. But from the time that January 6th was formed, and every member was appointed by the Democrat Speaker of the House. I, I was concerned. But your chief of staff spoke to them, Mark Shore, well, your legal I, I, counsel, Greg Jacobs. Yeah, I, I, so uh, he says that the reason he's not going to comply, or not comply, but not show up to a January 6th select committee testimony is because it's all led um, by a Democratic leader. The Democratic leader got to pick who was on the committee. Mike Pence. The Republicans didn't go along with the first attempt to make it bipartisan. Do you not remember that? They said they did not want to be a part of the initial proposal for this investigatory committee within Congress uh, that would have been purely bipartisan, even split. They didn't go along with that. So then the Democrats had to adjust and they did what they did. Gosh. I'll right. get to that. I. But, but I you don't for, want to engage with them at all? No, I served for 12 years in the Congress. It's inconceivable to me 
that one party would appoint every member of a committee. In yeah, and it's inconceivable to me that the party you're uh, holding water for right now didn't want to be a part of an investigation looking into what happened on January 6th. Congress. Leaving the Democratic Party no option. That's antithetical to the whole idea of the committee system. Mm -hmm. That being said, I never stood in the way of senior members of my team cooperating with the committee and testifying. Um, but Congress has no right to my testimony. Congress has no right to my testimony. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is what enrages me so much. He's selling a book, lots of it he's talking about the January 6th events, and he wants to paint himself as the hero, which in a very limited sense, there were some people who acted correctly in a great way on January 6th that prevented a worse thing from happening with our democracy, and Mike Pence was one of them. But you don't get to now be the hero if you're not gonna be a part of further holding people accountable. And one of the parts we were doing uh, to do that was the January 6th Select Committee, and you're not uh, being a part of that solution. And so it shows that maybe you don't actually care about this as much as you should, and that really bothers me. Nancy Pelosi has announced that she will no longer be the leader of the Democratic Party in the House, which is a big move because she's been around for a while and was a historic figure, as I'm sure you all know, the first woman to be the leader of a party in the House, as well as the first uh, female speaker of the House, and she's stepping down. So here is her entering the House of Representatives and getting a standing ovation. This was the first time that she was uh, presiding over the House after the attack on Paul Pelosi. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then here is the beginning or uh, the first clip I'll show you from her speech where she announced this. And this is where she announces uh, the fact that she's stepping down. My friends, no matter what title you all, my colleagues have bestowed upon me, speaker, leader, whip, there is no greater official honor for me than to stand on this floor and to speak for the people of San Francisco. This I will continue to do as a member of the House, speaking for the people of San Francisco, serving the great state of California, and defending our Constitution. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. Absolutely, which I think, she could have even done this earlier, but I do think it is time for a new, fresh batch of uh, leadership to take over in the Democratic Party in multiple ways. That's part of why I think uh, Joe Biden shouldn't run for re-election. Here's another moment from this same uh, speech where she's addressing the midterm results. Last week, the American people spoke and their voices were raised in defense of liberty, of the rule of law, and of democracy itself. With these elections, the people stood in the breach and repelled the assault on democracy. They resoundingly rejected violence and insurrection, and in doing so, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. 
So uh, centering that around democracy, the fact that the Republican Party didn't do as well as expected in the midterms in a significant way, uh, casting the blame on the fact that many of the candidates running were against our democratic process uh, in a very impactful manner. And then here's her addressing her husband. For my dear husband, Paul, who has been my beloved partner in life and my pillar of support, thank you. We're all grateful for all the prayers and well wishes as he continues his recovery. Thank you so much. Another standing ovation there. And as I've said before, can't imagine what that was like just not knowing what was going to happen with him. An 82-year-old man getting his skull beat in by mm. a hammer because of crazy right-wing conspiracies that this individual subscribed to must have been very hard. And she has said in an interview we covered that, um, or I covered somewhere, maybe on a bonus show or something, that that attack on Paul Pelosi was definitely going to play a role in her decision to continue being the leader or not continue. So that could have made the difference there. So as far as my thoughts, uh, it's definitely time. I'm definitely happy that new people will get to uh, rise up in the Democratic Party. But also, I've covered her, and so there are all my thoughts, good and bad, about her different movements. She's not the most incredible leader ever. I wish she could have been more of a progressive fighter on some stuff, but she did get some significant accomplishments uh, through as well. As with many of these individuals, it's a mixed uh, bag. And also, one of the things when I get asked about her that I start with is let's just say this we have a game right now in washington and she's really good at playing the game so whether that's a really negative thing for you or really positive is kind of how much um agency you give to one person within a very powerful system and um, she has been an incredible fundraiser which in one way feels like corruption because she's getting funds from special interests but in another way it does help democrats in certain races and all these things so um very nuanced conversation to be had there. Far, far, far from perfect, but definitely a historic figure. And it's an interesting and profound moment that she's moving on because we'll get to see a whole new generation of Democrats move into the top echelon of the Democratic leadership. The expectation is that Hakeem Jeffries will be that person leading the Democratic Party, um, but we'll dive more into him later. I have for you, this is just humiliating humiliating <laughs> luckily not for us for matt walsh now matt walsh appeared on joe rogan and to give you context matt walsh is probably one of the most vile individuals in right-wing media and that's part of why i just can't get myself to cover him that often i've done a good amount of stories now about him but i can't talk about him a ton because just hearing him speak gets me angry um, because of the dishonesty. And I'm not just saying that out of the blue, I'm gonna show you a moment that mwah, exemplifies that better than you could possibly imagine. So like I said, he's a right-wing uh, media figure and his issue is- Her Marriage is the foundation. How many sorry. people have had this Oh my done? goodness, apologies guys. His issue is with trans people. He talks about them more than you could possibly imagine. The Matt Walsh show is 
you know, welcome to the show. Let's spend the next hour talking about trans people and demonizing them in every possible way. And he's obsessed. And so he goes on Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan is probably thinking someone who doesn't, I don't think do enough. No, definitely doesn't do enough work behind the scenes to be knowledgeable enough to fact check people in the moment. But he's probably thinking, okay, Matt Walsh spends all these hours talking about trans people. Maybe I could bounce some questions off him and he'll give me answers that are correct, right? Well, boy, was he wrong about that because <laughs> Joe Rogan's producer in the moment pulls up an article and fact checks Matt Walsh. Just try not to cringe beyond belief when you see this. How many people have had this done? So uh, let me start this over. He's asking about how many people have had um, puberty blockers. How many people have used puberty blockers? Okay. How many people have had this done? Depends on what. I don't think we have exact numbers, but it's if we're talking about the drugs, it's, I mean, millions. Um, Are you talking uh, about human, hormone blockers? Yeah. Millions of kids have been on hormone blockers? Really? Uh, I'm sure someone's going to fact check me on me, but my 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 guess is that we're in we're into the millions now at this point. Yeah, that would be my guess. It says know. over the last five years there were at least four thousand seven hundred eighty adolescents who started puberty blockers and had a prior gender dysphoria diagnosis. This says it's kind of undercounted, but that's that would be a big undercounting. Less than a thousand people a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I would guess you know hundreds of thousands at this oh, point. Would you? I could be wrong. Okay, so we got to play some other time up first. If you missed it, Matt Walsh goes, you know, I don't know if we have exact numbers. No, nah, medical procedures we have pretty good numbers on oftentimes. But uh, I, would, I would put the number, uh, you know, give or less, give or less. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> uh, more or less, millions. I would put it in the million ballpark. Mm. And then the producer pulls up on the screen and it's 4,000 over the last five years. So it's less than a thousand per year. And he said millions, you know, per year. Yeah, and easily. it's less, it's in the 900, it's in the hundreds. And he says millions. That's wild. And then after that fact check has happened, I think I would just take my headphones off, go, I retire and mm. leave. <laughs> but instead he goes, was it's probably hundreds of thousands. Yeah, no. He decided to double down instead of actually, you know what? I'm wrong. Right. So he admits in a way that he's wrong by switching it to hundreds of thousands. But no, no, that's not how that works. You don't get to take like um, the average of what you said and what the fact <laughs> is. All right. I said millions. It's actually hundreds per year. Mm. Hundreds of thousands we'll put in the middle, <laughs> right? That's not how that works. You need to just concede that you were wrong. Watch this one more time just to suffer through the cringe. How many people have had this done? Depends on what. I don't think we have exact numbers, but it's if we're talking about the drugs, it's, I mean, millions. Um, are you talking are, about hormone blockers? Yeah. Millions blockers of kids have been on hormone blockers? Really? Uh, I'm sure someone's going to fact check me on me, but my... my my guess is that we're in we're into the millions now at this point. Yeah, that would be my guess. It okay, says over the last five years there were at least four thousand seven hundred eighty adolescents who started puberty blockers and had a prior gender dysphoria diagnosis. This it says it's kind of undercounted, but that's that would be a big undercounting. Less than a thousand people a year. Yeah. Kind yeah, I mean, I, I would guess you know hundreds of thousands at this, but I could be wrong. I, you know what? I could be wrong. Let's ignore that I am wrong, but I could be wrong. Uh, you can fact check me on that because you just did. It's brutal, guys. This is what we see in the right wing. And the sad part 
is very few people will take note who are right-wingers who want to believe that there's this I don't know what attack on cis people and everyone's being stabbed with a little uh, needle shooting hormone blockers into them and everyone's a trans person now (laughs) and all these things. They just need to hold on to that, I guess. So they'll just believe Matt Walsh after this. Why would you ever watch a show after that? Mm. Because that, if you're someone who talks about, now I get if you're a random person on the street and you get a mic put in your face, hey, how many people do you think you have taken hormone blockers? You might just be like, I don't know, a million sounds like something that people take, I don't know. Uh, especially including the fact that it's not just trans youth who take hormone blockers, um, but you would maybe throw that out there. But if you're the trans guy, as in the guy who talks about trans people all the time because you think it's the worst thing in the entire world, you got to know your facts on that, bro. Mm-hmm. That's humiliating. And let me just remind you, these are how these stories go, okay? Matt Walsh says on a show millions, and then every single person watching him tells all their family and friends millions. And then by the end of it, a third of our country thinks that millions because it spreads in all the right-wing uh, media networks and all these things. Well, a similar effect happened on Joe Rogan's show as well as all over right-wing media with the litter box story. Did you hear that? So... You'll hear tons of right-wingers say, oh, now kids are taking, you know, their poops or whatever, going to the restroom and litter boxes at school because schools are trying to respect people's furry identification. So people who identify as animals, they're trying to like respect that. And so then they're putting litter boxes. um, (laughs) They're putting litter boxes in the bathroom. Ben's about to die over there. Um, Well, it turns out, can you believe it? That wasn't true. Oh, no. But that didn't stop Joe Rogan long after this story had been debunked saying this on his show. There's kids. Ready for this? My friend, his wife, is a school teacher. And she works at a school that had to install a litter box in the girls' room because there is a girl who's a furry oh, who identifies goodness. as an animal. And her mother badgered the school until they agreed to put a litter box in one of the stalls. Yeah. So this girl goes into the litter room or to the, the girl's room and urinates or whatever. I don't know if she poops in it. That's pretty gross. <laughs> so this is one of those situations where have you ever been in a friend interaction and like Ben, hate to break it to you. I've done this to you before mm. where you heard something like a story and you don't remember where you heard it. It was probably a podcast or a TV show, but you kind of just make it your own. You're like, yeah. oh, my friend told me that they blah, 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 right? You, uh, whatever. Everybody's done it. It's on. storytelling, okay? Well, I think that's what he did there, where he saw this somewhere on right-wing media and then adopted it as his friend, or he actually had a friend who lied to him and told this story. What's up? But whenever it comes down to something like that, I don't think... I think I would have done just a little bit more research on <laughs> more that. More research. Because it's one of those things where they'll go, can you believe this is real? And I'm like, no, I can't because it's not. And so just to give you perspective, media outlets went and found the school that people were alleging was the school that did it. And it wasn't the case. The school's like, this isn't a thing that's done. Check our bathrooms. I don't know. Um, we don't do this. But it just, I don't know if it started as a meme or what, but these days, too many in the right-wing audiences can't distinguish the difference between actual information and, uh, you know, comedic information, I guess. 
I guess. And so even figures with the most massive platforms like Joe Rogan spread these theories, whether it's the amount of people who are on puberty blockers or the kid pooping in a litter box at school because the left has gone so bonkers and is pushing for wild things. It's just almost to me solidifies the fact that I'm, I'm definitely fighting for the correct side because if they got to come up with these types of things to attack us, clearly we're uh, doing well because they're coming up with all sorts of wild theories um, instead of going after actual things we stand for or believe in. Truly hilarious, cringe, humiliating there. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about Steven Crowder. We just wrapped up a segment. If you're watching it on YouTube, it'll be a different segment, but uh, talking about the misinformation that spreads on Joe Rogan and how right-wing media networks just kind of put out garbage and then people believe it. Here's a great example of that with Steven Crowder. I don't even know if you're someone who wants to hate drag queens so bad. I still don't know how you could get your brain to do the mental backflips to think this is true and to think the left actually is doing this behind the scenes. Just watch and then you'll see what I mean. Sheesh. So we had ours in, uh, uh, in Roanoke, Texas. This happened in Temple, Fajita King. And uh, here's the thing, the organizers didn't know. If you have kids, they shouldn't be watching right now. And then I want to sort of explain to you the playbook because this follows lockstep with what happened in Roanoke and it follows lockstep with what's happening across the country. And this is not an accident. There is a concerted effort to not only indoctrinate your children. Let me, let me, let me set this up this way. You ever see the movie Hook? Peter Pan, but Hook specifically. The goal was to get the children away from their parents, right? So they would eventually forget their parents and then they could be controlled. That's the goal here. It's to create enough distance and separation between what parents might want for children so that then they can get their claws in young and then they can petition and lobby CPS. And maybe five years down the line, it becomes standard practice that if you do not allow your child to attend drag shows or your child to get on puberty blockers, you lose your kids. This is all designed to put a wedge between parents and their children. If your children are watching, I highly recommend that they do not right now. So, so here's the claim from old uh, Stevie C. The left is trying to set up a situation where if you don't allow your kids to go to a drag show, CPS can come in and take your kids from you. And if you don't allow your kids to get on uh, puberty blockers, CPS can come take your kids. Who, who, what, where, who's saying, can you, because one of the things I do when we, we talk about right-wing beliefs is I'll show you a clip. It's a lot of what we do on this show is I'll say, hey, look at what Tucker Carlson said, or look what Ben Shapiro said, or Steven Crowder, or Joe Rogan, and then I'll respond to it from what they said. Mm. So you get to see what are they actually saying? What are my thoughts about it? I never see that with them. They'll just say, hey, the left believes this, this, and this, and that's why you need to be really angry and donate to me, no. Um, and it's like, who, who are you deriving this meaning from? And I, I, what I really think it is, guys, is right-wingers tell other right-wingers what left-wingers believe, and then right-wingers complain about what the left-wingers believe that they got told about from the right wingers right so we saw in this past segment about uh uh joe rogan telling a story about the litter boxes in schools that don't actually exist <laughs> and so then joe rogan tells a bunch of people who are on the right that 
and then they walk around and complain about the crazy lefties who want litter boxes in school. But there was no lefty in that entire conversation. That was just a bunch of right-wingers misinforming other right-wingers, right? It's the right-wing telephone game. <laughs> and that's what we're seeing uh, with this as well, where Steven Crowder is saying that these mythical left-wingers want to take away kids who aren't allowed to go to drag shows by their parents. According to no left-winger ever, if a parent decides they don't want to take their child to a drag show, cool. They don't have to. No one's forcing them. Mandated drag show every Sunday morning. This is your new <laughs> church, ladies and gentlemen, courtesy of uh, <laughs> Joe Biden. I don't know. <laughs> it's so strange. I mean, how do you even argue with this? But the less funny part about it is twofold. Number one, um, how justified would you feel to do some horrible things if your entire worldview centered around the opposition movement, party, etc.? wanting to get their, what do you say, talons or their whatever, into your kids. Wanting to go after your kids, separate your kids from you. Mm. And other right-wingers go, uh, go much further in saying, you know, the QAnon people will go, they want to whatever, drink your kid's blood or something. And uh, that is why we see more violence or that in part on the right um, than we do in the opposite situation because the lies they're being told are not just outrageous or are not just separated from reality. Mm. They depict a false image of the opposition individuals that makes you as someone who believes that likely feel much more justified to do horrible things because you think, oh, they're the uh, groomers. That was the word they used for every single person they could find was you're a groomer, you're a groomer, you're a groomer. And society doesn't like groomers. We don't like pedophiles. And so if you're saying that all of your political enemies are pedophiles and groomers and are coming after your kids, trying to uh, separate them from the family, you're going to feel justified in some dangerous things. As we saw uh, here, we covered on the show, a guy threw a Molotov cocktail into a donut shop because in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because this donut shop had hosted a drag show, which is totally something you're allowed to do. You're allowed to have drag shows or any type of show, you know, within uh, the law and stuff like that. Allow people to have fun, whatever it is. It's so strange. And beyond that, it's dangerous as we talk a lot about but there it is, Steven Crowder being Steven Crowder. The Lincoln Project put out an incredible ad just dismantling and exposing Tucker Carlson for the massive propagandist that he is. And I'm gonna show it to you, it's incredible. But first, let me give you the context. So we've talked on the show a good bit about how much of a Russian propagandist Tucker is. And we're not saying that because we love throwing around the term Russian propagandist or, oh, you know, Russia's controlling everyone we know, like, no. It's because Russian state TV, Russian state media plays clips of Tucker Carlson on their programs because they think he's so good at spreading the talking points that they want to hear within the context of the Russia-Ukraine war. So we've talked about this before, but he is a huge um, pro-Russian individual and anti-Ukraine in a conflict that is clearly placing Russia in the wrong um, and Ukraine justifiably 
defending themselves. So here's an example of that. That commitment, but why this one? What is the point of this exactly? We can't say we're defending democracy in Ukraine, which is not a democratic country. We can't explain clearly or even at all where our national security interest lies in this conflict between two Eastern European countries. So why would we bankrupt ourselves to fund it? Could it be that this entire effort is a choreographed scam to enrich the Democratic Party and its allies and achieve left-wing ideological goals that have nothing to do with the core interests of the United States? Could it be this, this whole thing is... So he's saying that the whole thing he's talking about is us supporting Ukraine in this, funding them, etc. BLM Eastern European edition? <laughs> well, it's possible. Because that is how Washington actually works. And the so this is Tucker Carlson's way. Just ask a bunch of questions to make points without actually having to stick to the points you're making. Because at the end of the day, he could always respond to huge criticism by saying, I was just asking questions. Oh, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's incredible. He's saying, is this BLM East Ukraine edition? I don't know. It may be. Is this all just to enrich the Democratic Party? I don't know. Could be. <laughs> it's so strange. What are you saying, Tucker? Is that your point or is it not? Um, here is another example. This is so obviously a scam. I mean, it's an ideological jihad. It's a holy war being waged by some on the left against Russia for their own creepy ideological reasons. But it's also a what? It's a jihad, a holy war against Russia by the left in America because we're defending Ukraine that is being aggressed upon, that is defending their own country while Russia wants to take it over because Putin has this sort of view of, of uh, Ukraine being a part of Russia rightfully when it's not. How is that even something your brain concocts, Tucker. And the strange thing is, as we're about to show you in this incredible ad, Tucker Carlson is being played on Russian state media, which shows you how empty the talking points are on Russian state media, because the points that they think are so incredible that they want to pull from Tucker's show are trash. They're so empty. They don't have any substance to them. No, the reason we're defending them is not for some ideological jihad on uh, Russia. It is because it will have huge lasting ramifications if we can show a country like Russia that they, just by the fact that they're more powerful, shouldn't be allowed to take over a less powerful country. That's not something that should be allowed on the world stage. Um, and everyone will scream, but the United States has done things because they're really powerful. True. And I don't support those things. And as I've said before, just because you've done bad things in the past doesn't mean you shouldn't try to do good things in the here and now. And uh, there are a million reasons why it's in the United States interest now, why we're acting in the way we are. But setting those aside, the outcome has been we have stood up on behalf of Ukraine in the ways that we can without getting into a direct conflict with Russia. And that has turned out to be good. So then here finally is the ad by the Lincoln Project, pretty much just playing a bunch of clips as you'll hear with the commentary from Russian state media that were played on Russian state media because they uh, consider this to be such good propaganda on the part of Tucker Carlson, the most popular American cable news host. Democrats in Washington. Democrats in Washington said that your patriotic duty is to hate Vladimir Putin. Many Americans have committed this directive. Hate Putin has become a central goal of foreign policy in America. Very soon, this hate can lead to a conflict in Western Europe.
Почти так же, как военнослужащий ВСУ на репортера Fox News, на своих коллег срывается ведущий этого канала Такер Карлсон, а заодно и на всю администрацию Байдена. Какие же мерзкие эти люди. И, конечно же, они продвигают войну, а не поддержку демократии. Украина не демократия, никогда ей не была. Это сателлит администрации Байдена. Absolutely. So, what are they doing there? They're not. Democrats in Washington. Uh, excuse me. They're just playing clips from Russian state media that play him, and also showing you documentation from this leaked memo um, from these networks where they want to start putting Tucker Carlson into what they're putting out in their audience uh, to their audience because they believe. This American TV host, uh, cable news host, is so good at spreading our talking points and our propaganda. And that is very scary. Now, I've speculated. I really don't have a good explanation for why Tucker Carlson has taken this path other than him kind of lusting after or for the right-wing authoritarian uh, Putin regime, kind of like enjoying the idea of this unity around right-wing authoritarianism but there's just not very many good uh explanations for why someone would make so many not logical arguments around this conflict um to such a massive audience but that's what he's been doing so there it is just humiliated by the facts um tucker carlson thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show we will see you tomorrow